Good morning, church. Psalm 100 says, shout for joy. All the earth can also be translated, make a joyful noise. A joyful noise could be a shout. Yes, that is a way we can worship. So church, let's shout out our praise this morning as we worship Him. For He is worthy and He is good. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, He holds a victory. Sing it out.
y'all can have a seat. My name is Jim Moyer. I'm a pastor of discipleship and family ministry here at Camp CC. And in a few moments, we'll continue our sacrifice of praise of our Lord Jesus Christ or to our Lord Jesus Christ through song and through communion. Jesus, during the Passover meal with his disciples, began a tradition that the church has observed over 2,000 years. Jesus uh, broke bread and said, this is my body given to you. And he took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood of a new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. So today we're going to continue this tradition, which helps us remember that God provided a way back to him. The song we just sang, Thank You Jesus, so accurately describes my condition, our condition, before Jesus. I was lost, and I was blind, and sin separated me, separated us, from our Creator, from our God. But God made a way to return to Him. It's interesting that the full title of that song we just sang is, Thank You, Jesus, for the blood applied. You know, that's a curious term, blood applied. It's a reference to the sacrificial offerings to God for atonement for our sin, as described in the Old Testament. Atonement just means um, uh, payment or compensation for a wrong or an injury. And there were a number of offerings practiced in the Old Testament, the, uh, what we would call the Old Covenant. There was the burnt offering and the grain offering and a peace offering, but there was also the sin offering, which was mandatory to atone for the sin and cleanse the sinner from defilement. A sin offering required that a live animal, often a lamb, without defect, be brought to the altar and the sinner was required to lay his hand on the top, on the head of the animal. That symbolically transferred the sin from the sinner to the animal. Then the animal was killed, at which point the priest would take some of the blood and apply it to the altar, the horns of the altar. And then he'd pour the rest of it out at the foot of the altar. And by the shedding of blood poured out on the altar, the blood was applied to the sinner and was made right before God. This old covenant, this covenantal sacrificial system was a foreshadowing of the sacrifice we remember this morning. A picture of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for the sins of the world. He was a lamb without blemish, whose precious blood was spilled after being publicly slain. Jesus was crucified outside the city of Jerusalem, just as the sin offering was burnt outside of the camp. And just as a sacrificial lamb makes atonement for sins, Jesus' blood makes atonement for our sin. 
yours and mine. At that point, in that moment that we come before God and ask for forgiveness of sin, we are really asking that Jesus' blood be applied to us. We read in Hebrews, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. This morning, let us celebrate and let us remember the God who planned and intended through all of human history to apply the blood of Jesus to save our life and bring us from darkness into the glorious light. The apostle Peter writes, Praise the Lord that sin offerings are no longer required because we have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And I invite you to think on these things, these truths, as you prepare your hearts for communion this morning. The elements of communion are at the top of these aisles. The bread and the juice will be at the, on, on these tables. In the next 10 minutes, we will sing three songs. And during that time, we invite you to come up and uh, grab uh, the elements and then come along, move alongside the, the top of the stage here and then take the elements. If you are here with your family, I encourage you to do that with your family. And if you're mobility challenged, it would be difficult for you to come down uh, the slope to the front of the stage. That's okay. We have ushers. And if they'd come forward now, they have um, the elements and they'll be happy to serve you there in your seat. And then you can partake of them in the next uh, 10 minutes or so. So let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for a love so perfect that in the sacrifice of your son you apply his blood to our account father help us remember that we were bought with a price that we are not our own that we may bring glory to you and we offer our sacrifice of praise this morning pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us worship together.
We lift you up. We praise you. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. Let's continue to fill this room with praise. We exalt. We Starts to break. To cover 
Hey, good morning. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. My name is David Hurtado, lead pastor. If you're online, welcome. If you are in our video venue, special welcome to you. Thank you so much for going there. I met a couple walking over there uh, this morning saying, hey, it's a little loud in there, but we still want to be a part of things. So we're going over to the video venue. You are the godliest, most beautiful couple in this church. Everybody else in here is ugly compared to you. Yeah, just kidding. Uh, anyway, uh, we're so glad that you're with us. If you're on the patio, welcome as well. Welcome to Camp CC. Uh, we hope that you are uh, appropriately, uh, you know, welcome this morning. And uh, there's a couple things we need to go through before we dive into the message. And that is to say, that is to say this. Um, this month, on the last weekend of this month, May 29th to, to uh, May, or May 26th to May 29th, we are going camping. So if you, at this point, and that is Memorial Day weekend, if you at this point were trying to look at anywhere in California, besides like Death Valley, who wants to camp there? If you want to go anywhere in the world in California to go camping, you couldn't find it because everybody's booked out. But we have your spot. You're just in luck and just in time. We have a spot for you. We're going to go camping together. We've been doing it as a church for uh, years upon years. We brought that thing back, family camp. And so we want you to be with us May 26th through the 29th. You need to sign up and you need to sign up fast. Listen, we take people who are like experienced, you know, they know what they're doing, campers, uh, trailer campers, tent campers. We take people who don't know what they're doing. Like, you don't have to know what you're doing. You don't, you don't have to build a fire. I don't either. It's okay. Somebody else will do that for you. Uh, you're going to be there and that weekend. We will have gatherings on the 27th. We'll do a church gathering together. We'll have like a meal together. And then we'll also do a church gathering on the camp itself. If you want to go up for like a day use for the day and be a part of that gathering, you can do that. Let's say if you don't want to camp, that's not your style. Or even if you want to stay like at an Indian reservation nearby, I won't judge you for that. I really won't. And so you can do that, or on May 28th, Sunday, we will have a gathering online. So we want to make sure you know that, uh, because it'll be an online gathering pre-recorded for those who aren't able to come with us when we go camping this weekend. And so, uh, if you can take note of that, that'd be absolutely awesome. With that, we're going to dive in to the Word of God together. But before we do that, I want to start with this. They say some people need rejection to propel them forward to reach their maximum potential. There's some people who just need that rejection factor to get to the next place uh, in, in their potential. Like a, something about being rejected propels them forward and, and they move forward and they're able to reach an objective that they couldn't get unless they were rejected. And so in that sense, rejection is very helpful to them because it repels them forward. Let me give you an example. Let's take Michael Jordan, for instance. Uh, there is a movie about his, uh, his, his, uh, his life or his uh, career in basketball out right now. It's actually a really good movie. And uh, did you know that Michael Jordan was cut from his 10th grade high school basketball team? Uh, 10th grade, just to get, if you guys don't know what that means, that is basically the idea um, that, uh, you know, the greatest basketball player in the world, his services weren't needed when he was in high school. Uh, the coach said to him, uh, you are not even worthy to sit on the bench. Uh, we would prefer you not come back. <laughs> We're better without you. That's what they said to Michael Jordan when he was in 10th grade uh, on the basketball team. I mean, I mean, just let it sink in. Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player to ever play the game, didn't have a spot on his high school basketball team. 
Now he would go on to use that rejection to motivate him to one thing, and that is to say that he would never, ever, ever be rejected again. Never would he allow himself to be rejected again. He would go on to play collegiately at North Carolina uh, uh, and take them to the NCAA championship in 1982, winning the whole tournament. He would then, of course, be selected by the Chicago Bulls, third overall pick, passed up by the Houston Rockets and the Portland Trailblazers, something that they would regret for years to come as Chicago would win championship after championship after championship. And finally, he got a shoe deal. A shoe deal uh, uh, that anybody would want to have, just like today, when you're a basketball player, you have a shoe deal, you get paid to represent a certain type of shoe. But back in those days, in the early 80s, anybody who was anybody had a shoe deal, and anybody who was anybody had a shoe deal with Converse. Converse was a place you went for basketball shoe deals. Magic Johnson had a shoe deal with Converse. Larry Bird had a deal with Converse. Carl Malone, Patrick Ewing, they all went to Converse. And Nike was new to this game, and they wanted to get in, and they wanted to be known as a basketball shoe. And they thought, well, for us to be known and to break in, we need somebody of the caliber of like Michael Jordan to be recognized as a basketball shoe. Everybody wore Converse. Nobody wore Nikes. So finally, uh, Nike offered Michael Jordan as much as Converse offered him in cash, but they also sweetened the deal. You see, they, uh, they allowed him to have his own shoe that would be marketed with his name. Get the shoe Jordans from that in the 1980s. Not only that, they said, we want you to be able to personalize it to your own liking. And so uh, we'll take the shoe and we will uh, uh, give you the color that you like the most. In fact, you're going to the bull, so we'll give you red shoes. The only problem with that is the NBA had a stipulation that 80% of your shoe had to be white, something of that nature. And if your 80% of your shoe was not white, then you were to pay a fine for every game that you wore the shoe that wasn't a white shoe. And so Nike said, not only will we do that, we'll match their offer, we'll make your own shoe, we'll brand it to your name, we'll personalize it so you can have the color that you want, but every time you're fined, we'll pay the fine. And it was genius, because now everybody's looking at his shoe, <laughs> the only one on the court who has red shoes, everybody else has white shoes, and Nike is flipping the bill for every, every single time he was fined for that shoe. In addition to all that, Jordan was able to negotiate the terms of a per-shoe licensee fee, meaning that he would be paid for every shoe sold in addition to whatever they agreed upon financially before that. This was world-shattering at the time. Nobody had ever negotiated that. No shoe company had ever done that that will give you a licensing per shoe that we sell. And in fact, many thought that Nike was economically committing suicide with this deal as they tried to break into the NBA market and they tried to break in, take away some market share away from Converse in being known as a basketball shoe. Well, how did it work out? Well, in 2003, Nike bought Converse after Converse had filed bankruptcy two years earlier. So very clearly, Michael Jordan and his shoe turned things around. Nobody even wears Converse anymore. You guys wear Converse? That's 80s. Get rid of them. No, I'm just kidding. My wife loves Converse. Anyway, uh, so Nike comes in and flips the whole thing around, and then Jordan, Michael Jordan, is paid more for the shoes than he was ever paid in playing basketball. And Michael Jordan laughed all the way to the bank, probably saying to himself, I will never be rejected again. I will never allow myself to be rejected again. 
You know, it's interesting. We all deal with rejection differently. Some of us, it's the thing that propels us to the next stage in our lives. Some of us will rebel back. Fine, you reject me, I reject you. If you're gonna have, act that way towards me, I will act that way towards you. Thankfully, God doesn't take a page out of the book of humanity in this. No, he raises, he rises above our rejection of him. That's what he does. Today we'll look at, uh, we'll dive into how God responds to us in the midst of our rejection of him. And you might be surprised. Whereas we have this tendency to say, you reject me, I'll reject you. God doesn't seem to do that. How does he respond to our mistakes? And how does he make things right? When we forget God, does he forget us? And if he doesn't retaliate, what does he do? Is there such thing as one and done with God, like I'm one and done with God? Or can God overcome our mistakes with his master plan? For that, we're gonna be in 1 Samuel chapter nine. 1 Samuel chapter nine. If you would turn there with me in your Bibles, if you have a bound Bible, go there. If you have a phone, go there. Jump on in. If you're new to our church, our rhythm is we pick a book and we just teach through it. And I know some churches do things differently, like they'll use a topic or, or, or they'll use a branding of a, of, of, a, of a subject to get people to come six or eight weeks at a time. And that's not exactly our rhythm. But I promise you, if you'll stick it with us and, 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 and allow us to teach verse by verse, book by book, it will apply to you. There will be subjects that pop off the page that relate to your life, and you will be better off for, for diving into the word with us. And so I challenge you to do that. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses, we're going to look at verses, the whole chapter, verses 1 through 27 today. And today we're talking about dealing with rejection. How does God deal with rejection? How does God respond to our stubborn rejection of his will and purposes? Uh, that's what we've been looking through. Uh, Israel has, has rejected their God. Uh, God was established as king. We want to set you aside. We, we're stubborn in our rejection of you. We want a human king. We don't want a divine king. And so we're asking the question, how does God respond to our stubborn rejection of his will and his purposes? And the first thing we're going to see is that he sovereignly works past our mistakes, that he's the sovereign God, he's in control, that is, and he works past our mistakes. Even though we make mistakes as it relates to God and our relationship with God, he can sovereignly maneuver and master plan around so that even your sin doesn't stop his control. He's sovereignly in control, and he can work past the mistakes. And that's what we're going to see as we look at verses 1 through 17 together of, verse, uh, of chapter 9. Let's look at it together. It'll be on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible. It says this. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, son of Zeor, son of, God help me, Bekorath, son of Aphiah, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth, thank you Jesus. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. And there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any other people. Now the donkeys, uh, the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul his, and uh, his son, take one of the young men with you and arise and go look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and he passed through the land of Shalisha. 
That's what I'm going with. Uh, but they did not find them, and they passed through the land of Salim. Shalim. Uh, but they were not there, and they passed through the land of Benjamin, and they did not find them. And when they came to Zuth, uh, Saul said to his servant who was with them, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, that's the servant, Behold, there is a man of God in the city, and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true, and so now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us uh, the way we should go. And then Saul said to the servant, But if we go, what will we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there's, there's no present to bring the man of God. What do we have and the servant answered Saul again, I have uh, with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us the way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, come, let us go to a seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servant, well said, come, let us go. And so they went to the city where the man of God was. As they, as they went up the hill to the city, they met a young woman coming out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? And they, and they answered, he is. Behold, he's just ahead of you. Hurry, he has come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as he enter the city, you'll find him. And before he goes up to the high place to eat, for the People will not eat until he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterwards, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him there immediately. And so they went up to the city. As they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Samuel came, the Lord revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow, at this time, about this time, I will send a man from the land of Benjamin. You will anoint him to be prince over the people, my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people, because their cry has come to me. And when Samuel saw, uh, saw Saul, the Lord said to him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Um, if you have an NIV, it'll say, govern my people. It's the same word in the Hebrew. This is the man who will govern my people. This is the one who will be the king. How does God respond to our stubborn rejection of his will and purposes? He, he sovereignly works past our mistakes. Now you remember that Israel said, we don't want you, God. We've just spent two chapters on this. We'd like to set you aside. We want to be like the rest of the kingdoms of this world where they have their own king who's visible. And we want to see him. We want to be able to touch him. You're not good enough for us, God. We want somebody else. We're rejecting you. Put somebody else in his place. And here is God giving them what they want, maybe not what they need, but what they want, and he's sovereignly in his plans already manufacturing how he can get to them to what they need. He's sovereignly working past their mistakes. And here we see the circumstances where Saul meets Samuel. It's interesting, Saul means asked of God. That's what the name Saul means. And the idea is they're gonna get what they asked for. They wanted a prominent person, well here is your prominent person. Uh, not necessarily God's choice, but it is the people's choice. Uh, there's none taller in all of Israel. 
There's none more handsome in all of Israel. Kind of like what can be said of your pastor. He was the tallest. He was the, he was the best looking. Uh, it fit the motif of ancient times. We want our king to look the part. We want him to act the part. We want to be the taller, most physically gifted. He is our, our warrior. He's the one that we marvel at. In ancient times, they would marvel at the exterior appearance of the, of the kings in the ancient world. And now Israel has their own specimen that they can marvel at. There he is. Fit the motif. He's supposed to be the champion of the people. Taller than everyone else. More beautiful than everyone else. And so they get what they want, even if it's not what they need. And Paul is sent, or sorry, Saul is sent on a journey to find three lost donkeys. His dad said, hey, we're missing some donkeys. Why don't you take a servant, go out, try to find these things. And he, he comes back with more than he ever bargained for. He and his servant go everywhere, and they find absolutely nothing. Finally, it gets to the point where Saul's like, well, you know what? Rather than continuing on this path and having my father send a search party out for us, because he's worried about where we're at, why don't we head back home? And it is the servant, this is a key, key, key point. It's the servant who points out to Saul, well, wait a second. Why don't we go to the seer, or the, the prophet, or the man of God, speaking of Samuel, to inquire about where the donkeys are at? There's a man of God in the area, the general vicinity of where we're at. We could go to him, he's known as a seer, or a prophet, or a man of God, and he could tell us maybe where the donkeys are. Let's, 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 let's give God a shot at the very end here, and maybe we can find these donkeys and head home. Uh, but if not, then we can just head home, and that way your father doesn't worry about you. A seer is literally what it sounds like. Someone who sees. He's a seer. He sees. Uh, this would be a person who, who gets special revelation from God. He's given supernatural sights. He's a receiver of divine revelation. He's God's eyes. They are a seer. They see things. A prophet would be a spokesman. Uh, it was said of Aaron that he was the prophet of Moses. He was Moses' spokesman. Uh, he is a proclaimer of divine revelation. He's God's mouth. So a seer has God's eyes, a prophet has God's mouth, being able to take divine revelation and proclaim it. Samuel did both. It's kind of the twofold function of, a, of the prophetic office in the Old Testament. I can see things of a supernatural level, and I can speak things and proclaim things for God as his spokesman. Let's go to that guy, the man of God, and let's ask him about the donkeys. Ironically enough here, like Saul doesn't even know about Samuel. It's the servant who is pointing out to Samuel, hey, there's another person we could check into. The fact that Saul wouldn't have any idea of who this nationally recognized religious figure is, is kind of, you know, kind of bewildering. Like, how do you not know who he is? And by the way, you've grown up a stone's throw away from where he lives. How do you not know who he is? Why didn't you think of to go there? It took the servant to say, why well, don't we do this? And then Saul's like, well, whatever. I mean, so last ditch ever. We've checked everywhere else. Why not? Nothing is said about Saul and his spiritual makeup and his relationship with God. And the idea is there wasn't much there. 
That's why there's nothing said of it. In fact, you might remember, we'll get to this later on in our study, but in 1 Samuel chapter 28, Saul actually goes and visits a medium to try to reach God. So there, 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 there's some kind of a, a religious uh, piece about him, but he's not super godly or, or you know, a, I have a form of religion about me, but I'm not actually like all in, if you can imagine. That's kind of Saul. I know there's some religious stuff maybe. Uh, I guess we can check on God every once in a while. But, but as for being completely jumping in with two feet, that's not where he's at. It takes his servant to point this out. Well, they figured they'd try it, of course, and they figured, well, we have to have a gift. Uh, customary, it's customary to bring a gift. Common courtesy when consulting a prophet, whether it was a modest gift or a lavish gift, we see that in Amos chapter 7, 1 Kings chapter 14, 2 Kings chapter 8. You always bring a gift when you're going to consult with a prophet or you're going to consult with a, with a seer or a man of God. You bring a gift. It's customary. It's what you should do. Kind of like, you know, buying your pastor a new iPhone every Christmas. Did I just say that out loud? You always came with something when you came to see the man of God. I'm just kidding. Please don't bring me an iPhone. That would be awkward. I would accept it, but that would be awkward. Um, and so uh, you, you see that, that they said, let's, let's give this a shot. And then they get to the point where they, we realize that everything's been sovereignly arranged. The reader of this goes, oh, this is all sovereignly. Someone's controlling all the pieces on the board and orchestrating the way things work in life. And I want you to take you back there to verse 15 to see that. Let's go to verse 15. It says this. Now the day before Saul came. This is before Saul is even on the, uh, Samuel doesn't even know who Saul is at this point. Before he came, the Lord revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time, I will send to you. He thinks he's coming on his own. I'm sending to you a man from the land of Benjamin, very specific, and you shall anoint him to be prince over all my people of Israel. He's gonna be the king. And he shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. That's gonna come later on. And, and for I have seen my people because of their cry has come to me. And when, Saul saw, when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord again affirmed this and said, this is the man who I spoke to you about. He shall govern or restrain my people. So the Lord tells Samuel in very specific terms, I'm sending a guy towards you. And literally the idea is when he, he uncovered the ears of Samuel. I'm gonna uncover your ear. I'm gonna tell you exactly, make it plain for you. The man who's coming to you from tomorrow, here's where he's from. You're gonna anoint him. He's going to be king and he's gonna come the following day. He'll be the one who will govern um, over Israel. Now, the word for govern in the Hebrew is the same word that can be translated to govern, to restrain, to constrict, to hold back, to hinder, or even to imprison. All that encompassed in the same word. He will govern over Israel, he will restrain Israel in certain respects, he will constrict Israel. He will hold back Israel. He will hinder Israel. And, and in my certain ways of looking at it, he even imprisoned Israel, is the idea. And this is really, really interesting because Saul seems to uh, um, uh, model the meaning of that word in every which way that it's used. And that's exactly what's gonna happen to Israel while Saul is their king. He end up fulfilling multiple meanings of this word as king. 
Here's the interesting piece, and this is the part that I want you to keep in the back of your mind. Even though Israel has rejected their king, remember, God, we don't want you, we're setting you aside, we'd like a human king. Even though they've rejected God as king, God is still sovereignly participating in their desire for a king. They said, we don't want you, we want someone else. And he goes, okay, let me install somebody else for you. He is still sovereignly participating in this, even though it comes at the point of his rejection. And I want you to file that in the back of your minds. Okay, this is what you want. It may not be what you need, but it's what you want. That's okay. I will start orchestrating this thing. In fact, I'm going to bring Saul here, and Samuel's going to know he's coming, and I'm going to make sure these donkeys are lost. I'm going to make sure they don't get found. I'm going to make sure all these things happen because I'm still sovereign. I'm still in control over every detail of life. Even when sin is on the scene, it cannot thwart my master plan and purposes. Keep that God in the back of your mind. And as for the donkeys, that whole thing was a ploy just to make sure they got together. We're going to find out they've already been found. God speaks to Saul through donkeys because he's not a particularly spiritual person. And God speaks through Samuel through whispers in his ears because he has an in-depth spiritual relationship with God. Well, here we see that God is sovereignly working for Israel despite the rejection of him. And it's really a picture of the kindness of God. In fact, many of you here might feel the same way, like you found him to be kind towards you as well. Like in the midst of your rebellion, that's when God continues to show his kindness towards you. It's kind of the backstory to the story. How does God respond to our stubborn rejection of his will and purposes? Well, number one, he sovereignly works past our mistakes. He can sovereignly work past your mistakes. Your mistakes don't have to define you. God can sovereignly maneuver around those things to get where he wanted to in the first place. And number two, now we're gonna see that he delicately brings us towards the king we need. That's the king you want, but I'm gonna start making this so you can get to the king that you need. He delicately brings us towards the king that we need. Let's go to verse 18, and we'll finish throughout the rest of the chapter. It says this, Follow along. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me where, the house, where is the house of the seer? And Samuel said to Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me. And in the morning I will let you go and, you will tell, uh, and tell you all that's on your mind. As, your don- as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, how did he even know that? Do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. How does he know that? And for whom is all this desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for your father's household? And Saul answered, I'm not, am I not a Benjaminite? From the least of the tribes of Israel? Is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me this way? And then, Saul took, then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them to the hall and gave them the place of the head of those who had been invited, who were about 30 persons. And then Saul said to the cook, bring the portion I gave you, of which I said to you, put it aside. And so the cook, the, the cook took up the leg or the thigh uh, and, and what was on it and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, see what is kept and set aside before you, or set before you, eat, 
because it was kept for you until the appointed hour that you might eat with the guests. And so Saul ate with, uh, Saul ate with Samuel that day, and when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he laid down in sleep. Uh, then at the break of dawn, Samuel called Saul on the roof up that I may send you on your way. So Saul rose, and both he and Samuel went into the, uh, into the street. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell your servant to pass on before us, and when he has passed on, stop here um, uh, yourself for, for a while that I may make known to you the word of the Lord. How does God respond to our stubborn rejection of his will and purposes? Well, he delicate brings us towards the king that we need. He's gonna give Israel the king that they want, but in the process of starting this kingly line, he's gonna get us all to the king that he needs. He says, don't worry about the donkeys. Uh, uh, there are bigger things for you to worry about, believe it or not, than donkeys. Uh, back to that whole seer thing, he, he, he couldn't have known this unless it was divinely, supernaturally given to him of knowledge. He, he knows the whereabouts of the donkeys and he knows where Saul is headed. He knows these things supernaturally. Your donkeys are fine and you're gonna be king. Saul has a humble response, uh, which is kind of weird because at the beginning of chapter nine, we're told that his dad's wealthy, he's of the uh, higher class of Benjamin, he's probably like a, an official of some sort in the, in the tribe of Benjamin, and so he, here is Saul saying some humble things that doesn't seem to make sense with, with the fact that he's wealthy and, and he's, got, he's got a servant and they have money and, and he has a head servant, which means there's servants under the servant, and so all these things don't seem to match up except for it makes sense when you think of Benjamin being overshadowed by Ephraim to the north and Judah from the south. The tribe of Benjamin was the smallest of all the tribes. It was the weakest of all the tribes. It was almost eliminated in the book of Judges in chapter 20 because of the wars that were going on there. And then lastly, Saul may be from Gibeah, which is a town known for the most heinous crimes in all of Israel's history. Uh, Judges chapter 19. Are you sure you got the right guy? I come from the smallest and weakest tribe. I may be wealthy and my, my family, yeah, maybe they're higher up in our little tribe, but our tribe is like the lamest one of all of them. And we got some bad history and there's sin written all over our tribe. Are you sure you got the right guy? You're saying all these nice things. Of course, Samuel says, not only am I sure of it, I'm gonna treat you like the king that you're gonna be. I'm gonna give you treatment suitable for a king. I'm gonna give you the honored seat at the table. I'm gonna give you the choice portion, the leg or the thigh, which is considered to be the prime piece of, of meat, usually reserved for the presiding priest. And here Samuel says, I'm gonna yield it to you, Saul, because you're gonna be king. How does God respond to our stubborn rejection of his will and his purposes? He sovereignly works past our mistakes and he delicately brings us towards the king that we need. I know you want a king, Israel, and it's the wrong time and you want the wrong person and you've got the wrong ideals, but I'm gonna set up the king that you want and then I'm gonna get you the king that you need. You see, Saul will come first and then there will be David, which is the king that God presides over, a man after God's own heart, and through the line of David will come King Jesus. 
And, and, and we'll start this process up. And yes, it was your sin that got you there. And yet it was your, your rejection of me. Yes, all that's true. But I'm going to get you so this domino effect gets you to what you need. I'm going to make sure you end up getting what you need. And here is the great irony that's happening in the overall storyline that you can't miss. And that is that the people have rejected their God and have prematurely asked for his replacement. And yet, even so, God not only gives them what they want, but he begins to navigate and orchestrate the surrounding circumstances towards a situation where they would receive the king that they actually need. This will set up King David, which will set up King Jesus. He begins to orchestrate their deliverance even though they've rejected him. Let me say that again. He begins to orchestrate their deliverance even though they have rejected him. Which brings me to the big idea. God meets our stubborn rejection with his plan of salvation. God meets our stubborn rejection of him, get away from me, with his master plan orchestration of salvation. I'm going to deliver you, I'm going to rescue you, I'm going to save you, even though you've rejected me. And how opposite is that of anything humanly speaking? Where it's hot, you reject me, then I reject you. You come at me with this way, I come out with you two times more. And God says, you can reject me and be stubborn in your rejection, that's okay. It just enhances and it makes it a little bit more challenging for me to get to my ultimate plan my master plan of your salvation. It's a, very, it's a familiar story, the story of the gospel, that God would meet us where we're at, sometimes stuck knee-dip in our own sin, dealing with the complications of our life because we've been living diametrically opposed to God, and instead of responding in kind and rejecting us when we've rejected him, he responds by working out his plan of deliverance for us. That's the God that we serve. In fact, some of you here today would be living examples of this. Uh, if, if we said, hey, would you stand up and grab a microphone and, and, and tell us how God met you at the point of your deepest rebellion and share how he rescued you even though you rejected him. You can go, I could do that. That's me. God meets our stubborn rejection with his plan of salvation. The one who was rejected brings deliverance and doesn't respond in kind with rejection. How many of you guys have seen the movie um, Unbroken? Raise your hand. See the movie Unbroken? Oh, not enough of you have seen the movie Unbroken. You need to go watch it today. Like go to Apple TV or whatever and, and, and rent it. And, and watch it and then tell me what you think. The, the movie Unbroken is about a Louis Zamperini and his life. Louis Zamperini was a World War II veteran. He ran the 5,000 meter race in the Berlin Olympics in 1936. Um, uh, he served as a bombardier on, the, on B-24 Liberators in the Pacific. When his plane gets shot down, has mechanical difficulties, they do a crash landing on the ocean. Then he survives 47 days on a raft, literally hunting sharks and hunting seagulls so they could live. After the 47 days that he's made it on the, the raft, he ends up on a Japanese-occupied island as a POW. 
He was taken to four different POW camps over a two-year period, a time span. He was beaten, he was tortured, he was extremely mistreated because he was a famous runner. And so they made an example out of him. Most notably, most famously, he was tortured and beaten, extremely mistreated by a guy who went by the name of the bird. It's a point in the movie, if you watch it, he gets moved to a different prison camp and he's thankful that the, at least the bird's not there. And guess who gets installed over that camp as well? And then he realizes that this guy's following him. This is super significant because when the war is over, he's released. And eventually he would make a trek back to Japan. And he'd preach in the prisons of Japan about how he forgave his handlers in those POW camps. And he did so because of the forgiveness that he found in Jesus Christ. True story, you gotta go watch this movie, it's amazing. And it is said that while he never found the bird, he went looking for him with the purpose of sharing forgiveness towards him. A story of great irony that the person who had been rejected and dejected turns out to be the one who provides forgiveness and spiritual deliverance towards his captors. I think that's a great illustration of what we're talking about today the great irony of the gospel, that the rejected one, God himself, provides deliverance for the people who would spit on him. And despite the rejection of him, he's still master planning and making sure, oh wait, this is just leading to your deliverance. I know you've asked to set me aside as king. And there's a king that you want and I'll give him to you, but there's a king coming that you need. And that's, my master plan to get you there. Humanly speaking, he didn't take the route of a Michael Jordan saying, I'll never be rejected again. So clearly he said, no, oh, I'll be rejected for you. I'm willing to subject myself to rejection for you. For you. As the scripture says, it's the kindness of God that brings us to repentance. I tell you, there may be somebody here who's like, I'm not even supposed to be here today, man. I'm not into this God thing. I completely reject it. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna pay my dues, whatever. Afterwards, my wife will be happy, my mom will be happy, whoever, whoever's making me come will be happy. And you didn't know that God had a word for you that in the face of your rejection, God still wants you and is willing to be rejected for you. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes for me as I try to just speak to your heart a little bit. If you're somebody here who is deliberating in your inner soul about things outside of this world, things of a spiritual nature. Can I just tell you our understanding, our biblical worldview on how this works? If there's a God out there, you don't deserve him. I don't deserve him. 
Nobody in the room deserves him. Nobody in this world deserves him. He's holy and set apart, and we never on our best day match up. But he says, I'll send my son who will take the rejection of this world so I can have you. All you need to do is place your faith in Jesus Christ, his work on his cross, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I believe in that. I confess that with my mouth. I believe that in my heart and the word of God, Romans 10, uh, verse nine, take it to the bank. You will be saved if you place your faith in that. That's our worldview. He wants nothing from you. But once you realize what he's done for you, you're gonna wanna give him everything. That's what he's done for you. In the midst of your rejection, before you got all dressed up and pretty, before he thought you could do anything for him, that's when he loved you. And you put your faith in him. And then you go on the roller coaster of ride called life, of living every day to glorify him. Do you wanna do that? Is that where you're at? You could do it right now before you leave. And for those of you who are believers, I hope you didn't skip over this one fact that God sovereignly has worked past our mistakes, that God sovereignly works past mistakes. If God can work past your mistakes, then why can't you get over your own? When are you gonna allow God's forgiveness to reign over you and just say, God's worked past it. His sovereign hand has worked past it. He's a master planner. Sin can't even thwart his plans. I submit to his plan. And I start looking at myself as God looks at me and stop letting the enemy keep on defeating these thoughts in my mind as if I'm living in the past. I'm living in the here and now. Father, we love you. We thank you as the master planner of all this world that you look past our mistakes and you bring us to the king that we need. We thank you for your plans. And we pray that we could live a life worthy of your calling the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. Um, what a beautiful uh, message today. Reminds me of Romans 5, 8, where it says, God demonstrates his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we're still sinners. I didn't wait for us to get perfect or all made right. While we're still living in sin, Christ dies for our sins and calls out for us. If you prayed with Pastor David for the first time to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior today, would you please let us know? If God's doing something in your heart today, maybe you just have a question about Christianity. Um, I don't think you're here by accident. I think if you're here, um, it's because you're here by the divine will of God and he's trying to get through to you. So please, on your way out, if that's you, stop by the welcome counter on the left-hand side of the lobby and talk to the people there and let them know, hey, I prayed to receive Christ today or hey, I have a question about this. Uh, we really wanna be part of this journey with you. If you're online, I know many of you are. There's people out there every week. Um, you can go to campcc.net and click on Next Steps. There's a form you can fill out, and one of our pastors will get back to you this week as well. All right, we're going to receive our offering. We're going to do that online. There's three ways to do that. You can go to campcc.net, click Give at the top of the page. You can text the amount you'd like to donate to 84321, or we have an offering box in the lobby. Um, 
Before we show the video, I do want to mention the Walk for Water we're doing on the 21st, so two weeks from today. Uh, you have to sign up online, go to our website. You can scroll down on the homepage and click um, the button there. There's another button that says register. You click that, it takes you to a World Vision page. You fill out the form online there and you can get yourself signed up. And then World Vision is going to send you your shirt and your medal straight to your house. And it takes about a week for them to do it. So if you're planning on doing that, I recommend you do it today or tomorrow, certainly this week, so that you can get your shirt in time for our walk. Um, and if you need help with that, let me know um, on the patio after the service and I can help you get registered. All right, one more thing. We're sending a team to Romania again this summer. We haven't had a team there since before COVID, so we're very excited about that. And they're going to be selling breakfast burritos on the patio, so that's what that's about. Um, and I encourage you to grab a burrito, and then they're going to be delicious. I was watching them make them this morning. All right, check out this video for what's coming up next. Hey, CamCC. I'm Cherie Spinnett. I serve in hospitality and worship ministries. I'm truly glad you're here with us today. If you are a first, second, or third time guest, we have some great gifts for you. Starbucks gift cards, thirst-quenching mugs, and all-you-can-eat dessert with our staff and elders. If it's your first, second, or third time with us, go to the welcome counter in the lobby so we can school you. Or if you're online watching, go to campcc.net slash next steps. There are a lot of great things coming up at CampCC. Who will you invite to join you? Sunday, May 14th, baby and child dedications. What a great way to celebrate Mother's Day. If you as a parent would like to publicly make a commitment to raise your child to follow Jesus, this is the opportunity. To sign up, or if you have any questions, contact Elaine at campcc.net. This will be a powerful morning. Invite friends and family to Mother's Day, as we will also have a flower bouquet bar. Sunday, May 21st, Walk Through Water Initiative. Grab those walking shoes. We'll be partnering with World Vision to provide clean water for those in need around the world. We'll have one gathering May 21st at 9 a.m. and walk a 6K or one mile alternative route at 10.30 a.m. Registration is $50 for adults, $25 for children and teens, which includes a t-shirt, medal, and a barbecue lunch back at the church. You can still walk without registering and enjoy a $5 barbecue lunch, but no sweat. Register now at campcc.net slash impact to ensure you get your shirt in time. Friday, May 26th through Monday, May 29th, family camp. Don't miss this weekend of games, hiking, fishing, swimming, and s'mores. Our gatherings will be held in person on Saturday night with an all-church potluck dinner at Lake Kuchuma and an online-only Sunday, May 28th. Register at campcc.net slash camping. Friday, June 2nd, middle school all-nighter, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Yes, you heard that right, all night long. Games, prizes, tons and tons of fun. Register at campcc.net slash all-nighter. June 18th through 23rd, Friathon High School Summer Camp. Outgoing eighth graders to seniors, enjoy the best week of your life at the beautiful Lake Tullet. Registration is now open. Wakeboarding, tubing, giant inflatable water slide, and trampoline. Build lifelong memories. For more information, contact Jacob at campcc.net or register at campcc.net slash firethon. August 11th through 14th, Middle School Catalina Summer Camp. Save the date, more details to come. To stay 
the loop what's going on at Camp CC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information on any of these events, go to campcc.net. I'm John Lawalker. I, um, I serve on the worship ministry here. Um, you know, stuck in my head from last week's message was they insisted on a king and they insisted on their timing and the way it was going to go about. And that's why they got Saul instead of David. It isn't like that sometimes. We insist on our own dumb, misguided, short-sighted, uninformed ways. And yet... He has a way of achieving his purposes anyways. He can use lost donkeys or empty pockets or a no-name thug from the hood to make sure that we get what we need. How gracious is that? So I invite you to think on that this week as we go from here. Think on his sovereign plan for grace through salvation. I just really want to thank you guys all for coming here today or joining us online. Thank you so much for uh, choosing to worship with us today. If you're a guest today, remember to grab your gifts out there at the Welcome Center. Um, I I really encourage you to invite somebody to join you next week. Um, Maybe your mom for Mother's Day. We're going to have a special, special service with uh, some pretty cute babies, one of which I'm pretty fond of. All right. Please do sign up for the Walk for Water and for Family Camp so you can join us there. Right now, I invite you to join us on the patio for a donut and coffee, and we'll see you next week.